Hello everyone, thank you so much for joining today. We're going to keep us on pause for a moment while everyone joins. Hello everyone, it is top of the hour. We will be starting the webinar in just a moment. Hello, this is Leah Freeberg from Excelix, and we're going to get started. There are still some folks joining, so I'm going to begin with some background information. You probably know Fluke is a test tool provider, and you may also know that we produce some of the industry's favorite reliability tools, from infrared cameras to vibration meters, all yellow, thank you very much. But you may not know that many of the measurements our tools collect now flow automatically into a variety of EAM systems of record, and that all happens via a framework that we've called Fluke Excelix. You'll see the brand on the bottom of the slides. So our goal with Fluke Excelix is to better connect asset management data into existing asset management systems. But obviously that all turns around best practices and condition-based maintenance. So that's why this series of webinars explores reliability maintenance strategies. And that's why we feature speakers from a variety of expert background. So before we get started, we have a couple of housekeeping items to go over. Today's session is being recorded, so the phone lines will be muted to minimize background noise. We will save time after the presentation for your questions. If you have questions during the presentation, you are welcome to use the questions feature and go to webinar. Please submit them as you go or as we go. We will take note and we will get to your questions when the presenters are finished. So take a minute now to find the questions tool, open it up, feel free to use it. At the end of the talk, I will share as many of your questions as I can with the presenters. If we have unanswered questions, we'll follow up with written answers. If you'd like to receive the slides from today's presentations, please let us know. There will be a survey at the end of the session, so please hang on till the very end. You'll receive the survey, and that will trigger a link to download the slides. A recording of this webinar will also on Excelix.com within a day or two. So that's it for housekeeping and now for the main event. Today we are very pleased to have two presenters with us, Doug Plucknett, founder and president of Reliability Solutions, and Mark Galley, founder of Think Reliability, and they'll be presenting on how reliability-centered maintenance and root cause analysis work together to solve problems. Doug is the founder and president of Reliability Solutions, Inc. and has been in asset management and maintenance and reliability for 38 years. He founded Reliability Solutions in 1999 and is also the founder of RCM Blitz and author of the book, Reliability-Centered Maintenance Using RCM Blitz. He has provided reliability training and consulting services to companies around the world, including Fortune 500 companies, Cargill, Whirlpool, Honda, Kraft Heinz, Schlumberger, Corning, Invista, and Newmont Mining. Doug has published more than 50 articles, written two books, and has been a featured speaker and keynote speaker at numerous conferences. Welcome, Doug, and thank you for being with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to the presentation. Oh, I am so excited. This is going to be great. I'd also like to introduce Mark Galley. Mark founded Think Reliability, a training and consulting company specializing in root cause analysis and work process reliability. As a cause mapping root cause analysis investigator and instructor, Mark has been facilitating, uh, facilitating incident investigations and teaching workshops on root cause analysis for more than 20 years. His work spans several industries, including manufacturing, transportation, aerospace, IT, healthcare, and more. Before starting Think Reliability, he gained practical experience in root cause analysis and work process reliability at Dow Chemical, where he worked for nearly nine years. He obtained a certification as a reliability engineer in 1993 to the American Society for Quality and is a regular presenter at national conferences. Welcome, Mark. Thank you very much, Leah. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, from what I know of you both, I am certain we're in for an excellent presentation, so let's get started. 
Okay, thanks very much. Um, I was going to start this off. Doug and I are going to go back and forth, but as, as Leah said, you can type questions in at any point, even as we're presenting. We'll collect those at the uh, at the end in a, at a questions time. The two topics, root cause analysis and reliability-centered uh, maintenance, the area where, where we focus is on the root cause analysis, this piece over here on the left. And the easy distinction that we wanted to make is that root cause analysis is typically for something that's already happened, meaning if you have a problem, it can be an equipment failure or production loss or a safety incident or a quality issue, you've already had the issue and you want to understand why it happened. That's what that accident investigation is. And, and so sometimes people refer to it as being reactive because it's it's already happened and you're looking at it after the fact. And reliability centered maintenance, we look at it as a tool that's uh, is proactive. It's something that we can do to say, uh, how do we develop a maintenance strategy for a new piece of equipment or existing piece of equipment uh, based on that equipment's function and uh, its failure modes? Uh, it's something we're looking to do to say, how could it happen as opposed to what did happen? So what are all the different failures that could occur to each component on your asset. So it's kind of an, an easy distinction. What did happen is in the past and what could happen is in the future. Um, both the approaches um, complement one another, but there are some, some differences between the two, but fundamentally they, they align. So I was gonna go through some of the um, some of the interpretation of how different tools are used. So if you look on the left here where it says focus on principles, this is really a list of just very common tools and terms that a lot of you know, like their entire Six Sigma programs within companies and, and root cause analysis and and the the principles of, of lean and there are many others, even, even 5Y and, and, and FMEA. There are a lot of different tools one of the things that Doug and I try to emphasize is understanding the underlying principles on, on how all these tools are aligned. So one of the analogies I sometimes use is that there are a lot of different diets. You can you could imagine that these are all different methods in terms of if they were diets. All diets work based on a caloric deficit, which is just the first law of thermodynamics is the conservation of energy and it means you've got to burn more calories than you digest so every single diet regardless of the diet you're on requires you to have a caloric deficit you can't digest more calories than you burn and lose weight you have to have a, a net caloric deficit and that 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 principle or that law of of uh, thermodynamics applies to every power plant and every refinery and every meal the same way because it's the principle that explains that so while there are a lot of different tools fundamentally if your company focused on principles it wouldn't really be confusing that there are 20 different tools because the principles are the same physics and chemistry and the periodic table don't change so companies sometimes get distracted by the number of tools and it creates confusion so it's important in terms of alignment to understand what those principles are, how they're really the foundation, that you, you can't really let the, a technique or a tool drive it without a basis in, in principle. And then that ultimately is what's effective. If people have learned different approaches and different tools in terms of aligning, you'd have kind of a common language if you always focused on what's what's basic. So you can see at the bottom, it's just not, it's not just that you apply a method, it's, it's how the method is applied, what you specifically do and, and those basic principles. Okay, reliability center maintenance and root cause analysis, both of them are really based on uh, a very similar uh, process, understanding the cause and effect principle. For every effect has causes. Failure modes are causes. We talk about failure modes and, and reliability center maintenance and in cause mapping, we talk about causes. Realistically, they're the same thing. It's following and understanding those causes. And that's one of the great parts of understanding RCM and RCA is if you get good at one, you'll become better at the other because you start to understand the cause and effect principle, right? It's really both our systems thinking process. Every system breaks down into parts. The system itself, the piece of the equipment or the unit of operation dictates the levels, 
that we break down in terms for FMEA or RCM, right? At FMEA, we typically stop at uh, a asset level, and at RCM, we get down to component and part level, right? We're looking at a work process. Both focus on improving work processes and specific actions. When we go back to root cause analysis in terms of thinking, system thinking, you continue on to ask those causes until you exhaust them, and then you go out and prove or disprove uh, each uh, specific cause in terms of determining how are we going to make sure we eliminate this failure. It can have several causes. Right. In a proactive way with RCM, we go out and we say, here's a component. What are all the different ways it could fail? Right. So both focus on that cause and effect principle. And it's really just a simple work process and following that process. So there are a few items where points we're going to go through. We're going to cover RCM basics and then I'll cover RCA uh, basics. And then we'll show how the two tie together. I think up front, there's a question that Leah is going to pose indeed we'd like to get a sense for our audience and where you all are at with your own practices so i'm going to take a minute and have you all answer this poll question are you currently using rcm to develop maintenance strategy at your facility so just to select one take a minute to think about it so are you using rcm for all of your equipment for critical assets only or no, we'd like to use it, but we have yet to start doing so, or no, it's not really right for us. We have no plans to use it at this time. So again, just answer one. Are you currently using RCM to develop your maintenance strategy at your facility? No harm, no foul. All right, I am going to close the poll and share the results with everyone. Let's see what we've got. Okay, so about 11% said, yes, we are using it for all of our equipment. 23% said we're using it for critical assets. 53% said, no, but we'd like to, but we've yet to start. And 14% said, no, we have no plans. Doug and Mark, what do you think about those results? Um, very interesting in terms of the, the RCM approach. Uh, I would say that probably if I did this 10 years ago, those uh, top two numbers probably would have been a lot lower. Mm, so it's good mm -hmm. to see people moving in that direction. Indeed. Indeed. Okay. I'm going to hide this poem and turn it back over to you all. Okay, so looking at the basics of RCM, uh, any traditional RCM uh, methodology uses the seven basic questions of RCM, starting out with looking at goals and systems and components, we talk about what are the function of the asset, right? And what context do you operate this? So what are the performance standards? Uh, we bought a machine, we expect to bottle uh, 1,100 units of something per minute um, and do so while maintaining all quality, health, safety, and environmental standards, right? That would be a main function. In what ways can it fail to fulfill its function? That's known as functional failure. Right, it's kind of the inverse of the function. Unable to bottle at all, unable to bottle at that rate of a thousand per minute, unable to bottle and meet quality standards, unable to make health, safety, or environmental standards. Then we get into the FMEA portion of RCM, which talks about uh, what causes each functional failure. Those are known as the failure modes, right? So uh, what causes a, a pump to fail or a valve to fail or a motor to fail? And you can list out Many things depending on often on what size motor we're talking about or what type of pump we're looking at. We'd look at all the different failure modes and say, okay, what's the likelihood of that? The next step, step four we're looking at is what when each failure occurs, what happens? Uh, that those are known as the failure effects. We discuss, okay, when this failure occurs, does it give off heat? Does it give off vibration? Is there any type of alarm that occurs? Uh, looking at the value or understanding the value of each failure mode, really we, in terms of criticality, why does each failure mat matter? Uh, uh, does it, the failure affect health, safety, or environment? Is it a hidden failure? Does it cause a loss of production for X amount of time? Uh, we discuss those types of things and we would assess what's the consequence of that particular failure, not only 
the consequence, but the probability of occurring. And then we get into the decision end of the uh, RCM questions. Number six, what can be done to predict or prevent each failure? So we look at on-condition type tasks, preventive maintenance type tasks, failure finding tasks. What do we need to do to mitigate each failure mode? That becomes our maintenance strategy. And then lastly, what should be done if a proactive task can't be found? And that's something that I added to RCM in terms of what we call the consequence reduction strategy. We'll talk about spare parts. If we're going to run something to failure, you know, if we can't predict it or there's no proactive task, we need to plan on the fact that that's going to occur at some time. It might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. And it may not even be for five years from now. But when it does fail, you need to be prepared for it. So do you need to have a spare part? That creates quite a conflict sometimes because we might say, she our purchasing people are saying we don't want things in our inventory that haven't turned in uh, over a year. So what we find though is in assessing those is some things go obsolete. So we may want to have that part and even carry it that long if it doesn't fail. So that's really the value of talking about what could occur in that proactive maintenance strategy. Looking at the steps of RCM, again, that those first two that we talk about, the goals, functions are in terms of performance standards, the main and support functions of the machine, and then the components. So we'd list what's the what do we expect from the machine, and then what do we expect from each component, right? And then moving forward, we go to the FMEA step, right? Steps three and four, where we talk about the failure modes. What causes those failures and the failure effects? We then look at that risk, or what I call uh, criticality. So we're looking, talking about probability and consequence. We determine criticality of each failure mode and say, all right, based on criticality, uh, this is going to help us be able to implement, right? It's really a process of step by step. No maintenance process or inadequate maintenance process is what forces us to struggle, right? But when we have this and make these decisions in terms of what task are we going to do? Is it a, a on-condition task or predictive task or is it a PM task or even redesigns? We get into doing redesigns in terms of uh, sometimes physical things and sometimes redesigns of procedures. How do we start it up? How do we shut down? Well, what's the best way to do product change, right? And then this is a, typically a loop. We start with our critical assets and then uh, we would look at reliability measures and say uh, which of our cr critical assets are struggling. That's a great place to start doing RCM. And then once we complete that, we have that process. It's a cycle. We continue to do it over and over again to the next uh, particular asset or system at your plant. Again, the thing to focus on with these two tools is the similarity between them in terms of they're both cause and effect tools, right? And doing one is going to help you get better at doing the other. Yeah, so the, the root cause analysis uh, piece, there are a lot of different views on root cause analysis. We thought we'd pose this question. I'll turn it over to Leah to let her go through this. All righty. So this is our second chance for the audience to weigh in. And just like last time, I'm going to open up the poll that everyone can enter their singular answer into. Does your organization look for the root cause, multiple root causes, different types of causes, latent primary contributing, or none of the above? This could be a tricky question, depending on how you think about it, but just give it your best shot and pick one. What do you and your organization look for? The root cause, multiple root causes, different types of causes, or it's not part of your current methodology. I'm going to give it a couple more seconds, get a few more answers in here, and then I will share the results with everyone. All right, finished getting your votes in. Thank you everyone so much for contributing. This is always helpful for the presenters. And the answers are, we have 30% of folks looking for the root cause, 
almost as many. Oh, this is an interesting split. 28% looking for multiple root causes, 30% looking for different types of causes, and 12% are none of the above. Mark, what do you make of that? Yeah, it, it shows the different kind of perspectives or approaches that, that organizations use, and especially mm -hmm. how root cause analysis has been um, either taught or explained or applied over the past 50 or 60 years. So we'll go right. through a few of the basics uh, in here, but yeah, it's really interesting information. That's fascinating. Okay, I'm going to hide that. Thank you everyone for contributing and uh, handing it back over to you guys. So the the context of, of problem solving to, to me or to us is just three basic steps. You obviously have a problem and the, the simple analogy is your, your car could be making a noise, which is a problem. You take it to the auto mechanic who does some troubleshooting, which is also called analysis. So the, the definition of the word analysis means to break into parts. So when Doug was talking about taking a piece of equipment and breaking it down into its, its, its function overall and then its individual systems and components, that is an analysis. That's why it's called failure modes effects analysis is a piece of reliability centered maintenance. But the, the kind of the point of the second step is analysis simply means to break into parts. So when you talk to the auto mechanic, and your car has a noise, the auto mechanic says, well, I troubleshoot the issue. That auto mechanic is systematically dissecting the issue. If the noise is in the drivetrain, the auto mechanic has to figure out, is it the engine, the transmission, or the rear end? A scientist would call those hypotheses, but the auto mechanic says, well, that's just what the drivetrain is. It's made up of these parts. I just got to figure out where it's coming from. When the auto mechanic says, oh, it's not the engine, I've narrowed it down, uh, it's in the transmission, it's not the rear end and it's not the engine, that is called the process of elimination because the, the auto mechanic is looking at three different things it could be that are hypotheses and through evidence determines it's not this and it's not this, which then they go dissect the transmission and break it down into parts uh, further. So the noise in your car is a problem, the troubleshooting piece is the analysis, then the auto mechanic, once they identify the source of the issue, says, well, here are some options. We can we can do this for $50, we can do this for 500, or you can do this for 2000, and you have options with the auto mechanic on how to solve the problem. If you're gonna sell the car, this used car, and you're gonna buy a new one, you may not do the big fix. If you're gonna keep it for another 100,000 miles, you might solve it differently, so knowing and step one, what the problem is, and then obviously how it impacts your goals is important. So there are many, many different problem solving methods. Six Sigma has five steps. There are eight step methods and 14 step methods. There are a lot of different schools of thought. The reason we use these three steps is it just doesn't get any more basic than problem solving starts with a problem and it ends with solutions and the part in between is always the analysis. Now, how you do each one of these steps, there are certainly different schools of thought. We are uh, biased to an organization's goals, meaning whatever your organization's goals are, if it's not to have any injuries and not have any equipment failures and not have any production losses and no unhappy customers, it dictates exactly what your problems are. So you, you can't even have a problem unless you have a goal. So an injury is a problem because your goal is zero injuries. So what is typically called a gap, the gap is between your goal and where you actually are, which the people just usually call it a deviation. But uh, you have an equipment failure or production loss or some reliability issue, it's created some gap because it's impacting your organization's goals. Once you know the impact of the goals, it's important to understand the magnitude. This is when Doug was talking about, understand the consequence when you have a problem, is it small, medium, or large? Is this a relatively small issue? And you can see the base of this triangle is wider. It's because the small problems are here, the medium problems are here, and the larger problems are up at the top. The reason it's a triangle, it's really based on Heinrich's work from about 100 years ago. There are a lot more small problems than there are big problems. So problems are small, medium, and large. The magnitude of the problem really dictates what the analysis is going to consist of. If this is a relatively minor issue, you're going to keep the analysis pretty basic. If it is a catastrophic issue, 
it's, I mean, if you have a refinery explosion, it's going to be a much more detailed investigation. But the approach doesn't change. The, the principle doesn't change from a small issue to a large issue. It's just important that you understand the magnitude of the issue. There's some specifics about the problem you have to define each time. It's part of clearly defining an issue, and we'll, we'll show that. When you do the analysis, you can break the problem into parts, just like your inbox and your email. You can sort by date, or you can sort by uh, subject, or you can sort by sender. There are a lot of ways to sort information. So when you break something down into parts, you could sort all the pieces alphabetically, but there's really no point of doing that. You could sort them chronologically, which is called a timeline. So when you have an incident and you sort every part of an incident based on the time, it's called a chronology or a timeline. When you sort the incident based on cause and effect, it is called a cause and effect analysis. And so what I'm showing on the screen is this starts off with something like a goal has been affected. It could be a relatively small issue or a large issue. Once you know the impact of that goal, you're just going to ask, you're going to ask why questions. And the why questions read across the page. They read this way across the page. So that is an answer to a why question. If any of you on the webinar have had a three-year-old in your life at any point, you will know that this question is just fundamental to a three-year-old's day. They can't ride their bike and they ask why. And you say, well, because the tire's flat, which is a simple answer. And then they ask, well, why is the tire flat? And you say, well, because there, there's a nail in the tire, which is simple. And then they ask, well, why is there a nail in the tire? You go, because there was a nail in the driveway that you ran over. And the next question was, well, why, why is there a nail in the driveway? That is the basis of what three to five whys or what people typically know as, as five whys. It's just straight line, linear cause and effect, which is super simple. It's fundamental. Every three-year-old does it. Everyone on the webinar used to be three. And you naturally ask these questions of your parents. And the response was because, because when you ask a why question, the answer is because, which means caused by. And you notice it builds, it builds to the left. It builds this direction, but the arrows point to the left. So it builds to the right. Did I say that correctly? It builds to the right. I think I said left, but it builds to the right because you're starting over here with the goals. When you ask why questions, you're going to be answering the questions to the right, but the arrows are going to point to the left because this cause produced this effect, which produced this effect, which produced this effect. So a cause and effect analysis is simply asking why questions, and it starts off linear. I know the incident is much more than linear cause and effect, but this fundamental logic is a foundation, should be a foundation in every company. What people call critical thinking and the ability to troubleshoot a problem is cause and effect thinking. So problem solving, troubleshooting, incident investigation, root cause analysis is laying out cause and effect. The reason you would do a timeline is because you need to understand the sequence in which something occurred because you're gonna sort the incident chronologically. The reason this is so important, this step here, is because if you wanna change outcomes, if you wanna change the effects and change the impact of the goals, you have to understand the cause and effect relationships. By implementing a solution, you can change outcomes. And that's what solutions do is solutions control causes. You can't see that same relationship on a timeline. You can see the chronology but it's not necessarily cause and effect. Just because something came before something else doesn't mean that it's causally related. So these two things are completely different in an investigation. The chronology is extremely important to understand. The causality is fundamental. This is what would be called the scientific approach. The auto mechanic is using a scientific approach to troubleshoot the problem with the car. Every one of your instrument technic technicians that are using a fluke meter are getting evidence to explain cause and effect. Like you can't guess what something would be. You have to have accurate information. So anything that you measure, validate, confirm is giving evidence to your cause and effect relationships. That's what that what troubleshooting is. So analysis is a generic word, which means breakdown into parts. 
this is a specific way of analyzing an issue, which is, we'd say, scientific. So what Galileo did in terms of scientifically explaining how the planets moved is exactly the same approach what the auto mechanic is doing, because it's fundamental. That's why I even mentioned principle at the beginning is the, the principle that applies to power plants works on every continent. And the principle that, applied, that applies to explaining a safety incident is the same for explaining an equipment failure. They are no different. And as Doug said, it is exactly what an RCM does, is it's explaining cause and effect relationships. The difference is, are we talking about something that did happen and we want to understand why? Are we talking about something that could happen and we want to understand all the different ways it could occur and what we can do to mitigate that risk going forward? So every every proactive organization, every airline, every hospital that wants to understand, we don't ever want to have these issues in the first place is doing what Doug said. They have that RCM perspective of how could this occur. When you have a problem and you break out the cause and effect relationships, you can then identify what specifically can we do to mitigate risk. And that is a, this is a shift from what conventional root cause analysis is called because the way people usually learn five whys is they learn that the fifth why is the root cause. And it is true that this cause had to occur to produce the issue. That is absolutely true. If that bike doesn't run over the nail in the driveway, this never would have happened. But there are other ways to solve this issue, meaning it that's not really the cause of the issue. It is a cause of the issue. And the reason that's important to understand is because there are different ways to solve this problem. You can still ride your bike, just don't ride it in the driveway. Or if you do drop the nails, make sure you pick them up. Or why did we drop the nails in the first place? That this analysis isn't going to stay linear. It is going to break out into parallel paths, which gives you options on solutions. That's why the auto mechanic is calling saying, do you want the $50 solution or the $500 solution or the other? In your company, you have to decide what are we okay with? You see this progression all the time. It's called continuous improvement. Seat belts are a great idea. There used to be two point seat belts. Now there are three point seat belts and they've added airbags. So adding seat belts, airbags and crumple zones significantly reduces the risk of an issue occurring. And that whole discussion of risk that, that Doug had mentioned on criticality is what problem solving really is. That if you fly 25,000 flights a day commercially in the US, which is what is occurring every day, you wanna have zero lost aircraft in terms of an aircraft going down. There were zero yesterday and zero the day before and zero the day before that. In terms of reliability, they operate at a phenomenal level. It's the same thing medication delivery at a hospital. They do thousands of doses a day and they want zero issues. To do that, you have to break the issue out into parts because it reveals options on solutions. So we'll make sure I go through this a, a little bit more, but just fundamentally those three steps are really what we want the takeaways to be that we, we think groups make problem solving way too complicated. So the three steps are key. The larger context, even with the example that, that Doug gave is your organization has processes in place. They have many, many different work processes. When something goes badly, like someone got hurt or you had an equipment failure, you had some, some outage of some type, you have to do the investigation. Those are the three steps here. Problem analysis solution, that's because something did occur. It's gonna start off as a very simple linear analysis with why questions, as I explained. It's going to turn into this. Like this is why we do classes, is this is not difficult for people to grasp at all. They did this when they were three. This is the part where people realize, well, wait a minute, what, what actually caused this issue? And it's just a shift in the thinking because most groups are adding adjectives to describe which one of these caused the issue. That's why they use the main cause or the true cause or the primary cause. In reality, and the cause and effect principle, you need all of the causes. Like there isn't a cause that's kind of related to the issue. By understanding the basics of cause and effect, to have a fire, you need heat and fuel and oxygen. The advantage of knowing that you need heat and fuel and oxygen is it gives you options to solve it. So people see an analysis like this and say, well, it's got 10 causes. I have to have 10 solutions. I'm like, no, the fire triangle has three causes, but you only have to solve one. And that is a, an unusual 
insight to organizations when they realize that's how they do 25,000 flights a day, month after month, year after year, and have phenomenal reliability is because they dissect the issue thoroughly and then identify what specifically they're going to do to change their work processes. And so this tie-in, this is basically the same slide that Doug was showing. It's just saying, are we looking at our processes proactively? Like how do we prevent something from ever occurring? Or when we do actually have an issue, can we start reactively, thoroughly understand that issue and then come up with solutions that really change our work processes? If you continue to do the same thing and expect the results to be different, you know what that's that's called. Meaning when you have a problem, you have to be identifying what are we going to do differently to prevent this from occurring? And you have to go through this analysis to find that. So solutions are either replacing kind where you're just changing out a part or you're finding out we need to change this. And most of the solutions, especially if you're gonna make an improvement, they're changes in your work processes. You're gonna do some specific things, a couple few specific things to change the issue. But the analysis, you might have to dig into a fair amount of, of detail. Doug, you wanna, uh, go through this one first and then I'll follow up. Uh, I, of course, answered first, but I'll turn my mic on. <laughs> was right, it good? So, the part you covered, yeah. was it really good? Yeah. So, uh, reliability center root cause analysis, you know, how are they complementary or why are they complementary? Again, they're both about dealing with cause to cause and effect relationship all right but more importantly when you start doing both of them these are processes that feed one another all right mark and i've had, had a couple examples with common customers where uh they've done a root cause analysis on one thing and talked about all right so we solved that what are the other things that could happen and then the next thing you know they're, they're getting into a larger system and they're saying maybe rcm might be the tool to go to next to talk about now that we've addressed this one problem, how do we deal with what could happen in the future? They go out and they do an RCM analysis, right? And once they've done that RCM analysis, I, I tell people, every time you do this, while we look for perfection, perfection is generally not attainable. You can't think of everything when you do an RCM analysis. So one customer in particular that was loading and unloading barges had an issue Two years after we did an RCM analysis, they had Mark come in and they said, Mark got talking to him about what could have caused this, right? And started to build a cause map. And then a couple guys said, you know, we talked about that in the RCM. And then Mark all of a sudden looked up and said, you did an RCM with this on this? Yes, we did. Did you do it with Doug? Yeah. Do you have it still? Sure. When you build that RCM and you can take an RCM analysis and build what we Mark and I call a cumulative cause map, right and then take what you learned in that and start applying it to the cause map or the root cause you're working on now and say okay here's the things we've covered and we verified this and we verified that what are some of the things we may have missed right so it helps down the road to say if we did miss something how can we make this visual how can we make this a tool that we can look and then say all right here's a place where maybe we missed a cause right and again it also shows the understanding that there can be multiple causes. Uh, and I, I think that's one of the things that got people to start saying the root cause in the first place is they may have had a problem. They did a, a three or a five Y. They said, gee, we've got the solution. And then three months later, it happens again. And they look at what they did in terms of their how did they solve it? And they say, but wasn't what happened last time. It, it was different right many causes can give you that same effect or that same problem so it's learning to address those and using these tools together and understanding how they work is one of the ways to become much better at it where you do cover more ground where you do cover more causes where you do understand your process better and your equipment better as a result your troubleshooting improves right it also improves what do we need to mitigate what do we need to prevent this from occurring again in the future or something similar. Yeah, so it's a, it's a real good point that Doug makes how they feed each other. And the slide that we put in next is just an example of 
this idea of, of creating a learning organization. So this is out of Brian Joyner's book uh, called Fourth Generation uh, Management, but it talks about this, this axis is the ability to do the job and then time is here. So a person starts and over their career or the time they're in a role, they learn an incredible amount of information. They do such a great job, they move into a new role and then you start over with a new employee and you end up continuing to go through the same, he calls it, Brian Joyner calls it an eyelash learning curve where you just have to keep learning stuff you've already learned. The idea and the reason Doug and I talk about capturing this information is that if you capture those failure modes, when I'm asking like, did you have this happen before? If you already captured them and then building on what you already knew, if you have a piece of equipment over 30 years at your facility, and you captured all of the failure modes over the life of that equipment, you end up with the aggregate of here's everything we've seen and here's the solutions we put in place to mitigate that risk. Instead of, re when you talk about recurring problems, this would be an example of we, just because we didn't know, we ended up creating the same problem again we've already had before. And we're like, well, how do we, how do we change that and actually just build on what we already know. So when you think of a system that's in your facility for 15, 20, 30, or 40 years, the amount of meetings and conversations that have occurred that are just off in the ether, they're just gone versus did we capture it? And that's why Doug and I are so specific about, about diagramming issues. So with that, that idea of making the diagram, I was gonna show you one example of how we uh, lay out an issue. This is one that Doug and I did quite a while ago. So it's with a company that had a, uh, a feed system, a bagging system, and there's a, a feed into the bags, and then they go on a conveyor. And there are different ways the thing could fail. The objective is that you they want to deliver a certain number of bags in a certain period of time, and that's that's the reliability of that system. What I, what I want you to see is this is just regular Microsoft Excel. So Excel, and you, you guys will have access to this template. Excel lets you make any objects you want. This is a regular Excel worksheet. It's just we're using it as to make a diagram. So you can diagram all of your problems and systems. Like if down here you see there's a pulley that we drew. So there's a motor with a chain drive and a pulley. And if you need to make a circle, you just go insert shape and you pull down the shift button and it will make a perfect circle. Um, if you want to change the shape of it and into a different shape, you do that. It's, these are all just rectangles and circles, and then they're just text boxes that have labels that we put on them. But this is the way the cause and effect analysis lays out, where you're looking at overall, okay, we want to seal 22 bags per minute. That's what Doug was talking about when he said the function of the system, 22 bags per minute. What could cause, this is not what did cause, this is what what could cause the loss of 22 bags per minute. You know, it could be some the feed system or the conveyor or the sealer. That's why the diagram is so helpful because you break it down into parts like the mechanic did. When you ask, well, what could cause the loss of the feed system? Or what could cause the loss of the conveyor system? The conveyor system is made up of, well, you could lose power or you could lose the shiv, like the, the torque from you know, the shiv fails or things come off track that people start telling you different ways. And you can see what happens is these are, I'll write this real quickly is these are effects and these are all causes. But as we talked about in that linear analysis, these are also effects of these causes, which means there's a term that people use for failure mode that says, oh yeah, failure modes are these things that could cause the loss of 22 bags per minute. But likewise, these are failure modes of the loss of the conveyor. So the question is, is the loss of the conveyor a cause, an effect, or a failure mode? And the answer is yes. But when people first learn some of these systems, they think, well, these are just completely different terms. And that's where the terminology almost creates some of the confusion is once you focus on simple cause and effect, you can see how these things fit together. And then when you take the know-how of a lot of people and put it on one map, the map the diagram can get a lot larger. So the idea of collecting all this, this is in people's heads. Um, it's just not necessarily captured, but over 20 years of time to capture all the failure modes on a particular system, if you wanted to teach somebody how to troubleshoot, 
uh, this would be a pretty good diagram to use. If you actually wanted to troubleshoot a system, you can you can do that. Uh, and that, if I can cut in, Mark, that's the thing that I, I really uh, try to push forward the most when I'm doing an RCM is to say we have evolved in maintenance to a point where our ma our maintenance people have become component replacers. They don't think about why things failed, and this is the most powerful visual tool there is to get them to understand and be able to troubleshoot. Uh, why things are failing at your site, right? Uh, every place I go, and you know, I'd be lying if I, I started as a tradesperson. I'd be a liar if I said I never fell for that myself. Times where you replace a gearbox, thinking it it was a gearbox, only to find out it was a motor that was failed, right? How do you understand and designate between the two? What are the well? They have different failure modes, and those failure modes produce different effects. What did you see, right? What can we tell by testing a motor versus testing a gearbox what do we how do we understand and learn to understand which one was the actual cause this time in terms of troubleshooting so that we replace the right thing and we can give feedback to say this is what i believed happened right because things occur over and over again until we change our strategy of how we maintain them or install them for that for that matter This this diagram doesn't solve problems your people do. The only reason you make the diagram is to get all the information out of everyone's head. So your 25-year people know a lot of things. If they retire or move on to another role, you lose all this information. So the whole point of making the diagram is just to capture know-how so that you have some continuity within your uh, organization. So we have a couple summary slides. All right. If we look at the the six benefits of each of these approaches, we could clarify overall reliability approach, right? By understanding, again, the cause effect relationship, better communication, problem solving. If we're using both the tools together, we get people to start speaking the same language in terms of what's a cause, what's an effect, what's the relationship between the two. The visual history uh, of a, the equipment that we now have that Mark just showed you. Right, improves the detail of troubleshooting so that we become better at understanding what's failing and why it's failed, more important. Uh, develops a con continuity in the organization in terms of how we talk about failures. Uh, using the same language is important in, in those terms. Again, if you do RCM, it improves your ability to do RCA, and if you do RCA, it improves your ability to do RCM. And it's that complementary part of this that is actually very powerful. Um, some of the symptoms of like maybe ignoring this perspective is repeat problems are symptomatic of not understanding those failure modes well and preventing them. So people end up doing the same work differently, which is part of this discontinuity. And then there are just breakdowns and handoffs, not only between shifts and groups, between maintenance and operations. It's just, an, it's just important to understand how that clarity changes reliability because so many things that, that negative incidents that occur are just unknowns. People didn't realize or didn't understand. So all the rework inefficiencies, too many touches are again, breakdowns in work process. And then when people go, oh, that training is just complicated. It doesn't matter how complex the system is, you have to make the training clear to the user and that gets into even procedures and checklists, which is the whole tie-in, that whole kind of systemic view that Doug, uh, Doug had talked about. So we have a summary file if you, if you wanna scan this QR code. And then there's also uh, a short URL, a bit.ly there, that is slash RCMRCA. That's a summary of what we've covered, that if you wanna scan this, and I think in the email that goes out, you'll get it, even if you aren't able to scan it, you'll get a copy of the, the link where you can access that, that file for the bag sealer is a PDF is also out there and there's a link where you can see some of the Excel tips uh, also. So I, I want to say thanks very much um, and we'll, we'll field any questions. Doug, did you want anything that you wanted, anything you wanted to close with? No, I'm actually good to go. We'll get to the question part of this. I think that's important. Thank you so much, both of you. That was a wonderful step through. And I think the biggest question outstanding is the classic getting started. So if you do neither RCM or RCA right now, where do you start?
Doug, you want to go? You want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, really, the best place to start is is to organize your thoughts, and uh, it's always a difficult question because I don't know where a company is, right? Do you have the right. CMS? Are you able to track data and the number of failures? And um, I always start with understanding criticality, right? We have if you have two thousand assets at your plant, understand where which ones are most critical and start to focus there, start to focus on uh, the number of incidents or uh, failures that are occurring, the amount of downtime in terms of what's been going on, and focus on uh, critical assets that are struggling. And really the best way to do that is by measuring uh, overall equipment effectiveness, and, and of course breaking that into the categories of uh, good product versus quality losses, speed losses, and operational losses. From there, we can get a good idea of where we should start doing some group pause or RCM. Yeah, that, that prioritization that, that Doug mentioned is key. We, we, uh, we are sometimes the, the front end where we're just working a specific problem. So any recurring problem in terms of equipment issues or operations, it doesn't have to be huge. It can be a relatively minor thing to just dissect the cause and effect relationships, even if it's basic, to give the frontline people and some of the managers an understanding of, yeah, here's how we can break out the cause and effect relationships of this specific issue. It just gives a glimpse of what, what Doug was saying that, you know, you might wanna tackle an overall system, but you might have to get some initial evidence that this cause and effect thinking approach will improve what we're doing. And so a recurring problem is just a great candidate to start small with. And then you you're basically able to give some some uh, confirmation that yeah we can do this. So working one small issue maybe gives management and frontline some evidence that you can expand this and really look at it from a, a larger systems perspective, as Doug had said. Mm -hmm. Can you roll back one slide? A couple of folks didn't capture the QR code and want another chance at it. Perfect. Thank you. We'll park there for a minute. So that was an awesome answer, both of you. I appreciate it. Um, and you, I appreciate that you went to the next step because, you know, from the how do you get started to then on an ongoing basis, what merits doing a full RCA? And you said it's the critical assets, right? So keep going back to your goals. And um, uh, which which critical assets are struggling? So is that is that the basic repeats? Uh, methodology just keep going yeah. back to your goals yes absolutely right okay. don't lose focus on on what's critical because we can get distracted by the day-to-day -day events that occur at our plant you know everything sure. seems to be an emergency uh in, in reality look at the larger picture first don't get distracted by uh the squirrel that's running around the backyard right right that's Everybody has, has been through that at work to say it's a different thing each day. Uh, and when you get dragged away from what's actually going on, and that's how good reliability measures and understanding criticality helps you stay focused on what are the right things we should be talking about. Right. We have a person who asked um, what training you recommend for the in-house staff who are responsible for leading the team in the RCM direction with with the goal of improving their processes um the reality is uh, in terms of what i recommend to the companies i deal with is you know i could I have two things i can come in and do these for you uh that helps but you don't learn right mm. the best thing is to train some facilitators and meant to have them mm -hmm. mentor how to do rcm and then have those people that have that ability on staff to be able to solve problems. And I think Mark would probably state the same thing in terms of cause mapping. You know, train your people how to do it. You, you don't have to be a, a rocket scientist to understand the relationship of cause and effect and to ask questions and, and learn how to bring the right people into the room. You just need to learn the process of, of how to do that. Okay, so I've trained the trainer methodology. Yeah. Okay. Um, because I had some, some the first time I saw the Excel chart, I was a little intimidated because I looked at the fully blown out version and then you walked through it and it made more sense. But 
how long do you think it takes for people to get really good at using the cause mapping in in the multi-stream versus the linear that we're we're more used to? But I think as Doug has said, the thinking is just cause and effect. So you don't we we show these cases where you can lay out just um, cause and effect in Excel that you're talking about, but you can do this on a dry erase board or a piece of paper. Meaning the mm -hmm. only reason we're we're showing you Excel as an option is that you'll you'll get a link at the QR code where you can you can get this template and it'll show you how you can move boxes around and connect things pretty easily. But just what Leah said, you don't have to make it complicated initially. We only do this because this is incredibly easy to share digitally across the company and keep a record of, but you can start with pencil and paper. So you can lay out cause and effect on an issue, which is pencil and paper. You can use post-it notes on a dry erase board. So I, I'd keep the documentation pretty simple. As Doug had said, that cause and effect thinking is pretty basic, but you saw from the question on the term root cause, latent cause, that there's just a lot of, uh, kind of baggage about what root cause analysis is. And, and really people are almost miscommunicating some of the mm -hmm. basics of how you mm -hmm. troubleshoot an issue. So that, that mm -hmm. thinking is really, really the key. There's an awesome question in the, the list here of how do you generate enthusiasm? How do you change the attitude of, we always did it this way? I always tell people enthusiasm is a product of winning, right? <laughs> so, have success and celebrate those successes. Uh, this goes back early in my career, uh, you know, when I was still a tradesperson and changing an absolute filter on this system. I mean, we were doing this at least once a week. The filter itself was $500. And then to do this change on this major piece of equipment is four hours down the line. And we had, oh, had that if you go much beyond that, they're going to shut down a motion picture film machine and, and uh, it was the type of thing that, why is this stupid filter plugging? There can only be so many different ways or reasons to do this. Well, when we finally sat down as a group and there was three of us and we just put it out, and this is before even dry erase boards. I want to say we did it on a chalkboard for crying out loud. <laughs> Here's the different parts of this. Where can the dust be coming from that's plugging this filter up, right? And by looking at each and, and eliminating and then finally discovering, okay, these are the two things, and in the end, it was well over a year before we had that change that filter again, right? And the best part about it is it was outside. It's Rochester, New York. It's winter. It's snowing. It was a miserable job, and we were then rewarded as a team to do that. And that's the important piece is that mm -hmm. supervisor management needs to understand is to celebrate those successes, mm -hmm. and that's the whole mm -hmm. excitement you get some recognition and uh, not only that it, it takes a, a headache away from you as a tradesperson so yep. winning is what builds enthusiasm and uh it always helps to be able to find a couple leaders within the organization too to, to good uh, and help the rest of the people good uh, understand one more question and i'm going to make you give a short answer versus a long one which is going to be hard ready so what's the optimum number of failure modes that a good RCA should identify? Go ahead, Doug. That was RCA or RCM? It says RCA, but the person references both. I'll read the whole question. What's the optimum number of failure modes a good RCA should identify? If the RCA team refers to the RCM FMEA, would they not be limited by what the RCM FMEA has identified as failure modes? Um, uh, I don't know that there is a number. Uh, there certainly is a relationship between failure modes and the number of components that you're assessing. Uh, but realistically, there is not a number. It, it comes down to, uh, I, I've always told groups, what's your level of pain in terms of detail? Because right? mm -hmm. we can get down and start talking about uh, screws and nuts and washers, if you want. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Right? right. And in reality, sometimes we need to. Sometimes it is a torque yeah. issue that, that causes yeah. the problem. So Valid. there really is not a good number. You know, I when I come in and a company calls me and say, "Hey, could could we do this RCM on this piece of equipment?" We talk about how many components there, and I'll give them an estimate of how much time. Right. And that's based on what I think there will be in terms of failure modes. But realistically, there have been times that we've shot way over that estimate and and times that we've we've come in 
just under. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. The question is like how much detail, and it's kind of Goldilocks. There's such a thing as too much, and such a thing as mm-hmm. not enough, and it's just as much as you need. That's why we keep mentioning the goals. So you kind of have to, with the inside of the people at the facility, you really dictate with the system. This is probably the detail we need to add, but it's from system to system, mm-hmm. it, it it can vary. Very good. Yep. I imagine you can Goldilocks. Put it at it. I like that. Yep. Just right. If you would forward to the next slide, I want to remind everyone to take the survey that will pop up as soon as I close the webinar. Oh, one more, there we go. Um, Because that survey gives us feedback, not just on Doug and Mark today, but also on this whole series of what kinds of presentations that our audience would value seeing in the future. So I will close the webinar here in just a moment. I want to say thank you to both Doug and Mark. This was fantastic. Lots of raves coming in for the questions. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Enjoyed uh, doing this. Yep. Thanks very much. Thanks, Leah. Thanks, Doug. Very good. I want to encourage everyone again to go to both businesses by Doug and Mark. And uh, for the questions that didn't get answered, we will follow up with you. You can go to excelx.com to rewatch this presentation. We will also send you a link to the slides. And with that, I want to say thank you for joining us and everyone have a great afternoon.